Last night, my family and I were headed into Algoma. We were spending the evening uh, with some people. And so on our ride into Algoma, we decided we would take County Road S. I've been steering clear of it for the majority this week because they've been doing some construction on it. But I decided I would check out and see how the road was. And as we were traveling to Algoma, I saw that the side of the road that we were traveling on, it was fine. But the other side was in really rough condition. It had a lot of loose gravel and they hadn't been able to pave over that yet in the process of where they are with the construction. And so I just I, I told the family, hey, when we go home, remind me we're going to take 42 on the way home and we'll just avoid any of the problems that we could potentially face with the condition of the road that it's currently in. And they said, all right, we'll remind you if we can. And then we started talking for a couple minutes about, hey, um, you know, I ask you to remember one thing. How hard is that? My kids are like, dad, we got a lot going on in our lives. I'm like, all right, all right. And, and as that conversation was wrapping up, we made it into Algoma. And right as we hit Algoma, our car also hit a skunk. Uh, now, luckily, it was fast enough that the skunk, I don't believe, was aware it was about to die because we didn't smell the skunk. Or it just hit us and we were so uh, naive to the fact we just all reeked like skunk and couldn't tell anymore. I'm not sure which one it was. I don't think we smelled like skunk. Uh, so not a great start to the night, uh, but could have been worse. So we go, to the, we go to the hangout. Everybody had a good time. And then it's time to go home. And we're on our way home. And we're driving on 42. My kids did remind me to take 42 on the way back. That was great. And we're riding back on, on 42 on the way back. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a raccoon the size of almost a deer. It was the biggest raccoon I've ever seen in my life. Just has a death wish. And it runs right in front of my car. Now, I drive a 2010 Honda Civic. I mean, it's not much bigger than a Hot Wheels car, this thing. And so we're all in it, and we just smash this raccoon. And if you love animals, you just need to plug your ears for a couple seconds. Because I hope we destroyed that stupid raccoon. I hope we just obliterated it. And the reason I feel that way is because it just destroyed the front of my car. Just destroyed it. So the, the front part of my car is hanging down. We, we hear this something rubbing on the tires. I finally pull over. When I'm, when I'm able to pull over, I get out and the front panel's disconnected. A part's hanging down onto the tire. So i am got my flashlight on my phone and I'm just pushing it up. And I finally get it pushed up and, and forced back in. There's part of the front of the car now that's missing. And, and I make it home all because I'm convinced all this happened because of the construction and because I had to adjust my route. So I plan on writing the Wisconsin Department of Transportation and asking them to cover the bill. I'm sure they won't. You know, sometimes, sometimes when we have to adjust our travel plans, we run into raccoons. Other times, if you've ever had to adjust a flight, you know how painstaking that process can be. And if you've ever been at an airport with a delay, you've seen just how the best in humanity can come out all around you. When people feel like their travel is the only travel that's been impacted, and there's magically something the poor customer service agent is going to magically be able to do behind the desk as people are just so incredibly unfair to them and taking all their frustration out on them. And 
and why? Because it's a stressful time. It's a stressful thing when you have to, most of the time, when you have to change up travel. Sometimes it can be all right, but more often than not, it's a stressful experience. And as we continue our look at the book of Acts and the spread of the church, the early church, and we see the hope of Jesus being spread across the regions, sometimes when we encounter what we encounter. We look back from a couple thousand years and we see how God in his perfect will and in God's perfect plan brought everything together for the good. And if we're not careful, if we're not really thinking of it at the time, we can divorce ourselves from the challenges and the difficulties that the Apostle Paul and the other people featured in the book of Acts would have encountered in their day-to-day lives. And it's important for us to remember that while we see God do all these incredible, miraculous, extraordinary things, He chose to do them through ordinary people who had frustrations, who had difficulties, who had hardship, the same way that you and I do. And when we look back, we have to put ourselves in the situations and in the circumstances of the Apostle Paul and the other people featured. And remember that they are just ordinary people that God, yes, did some extraordinary things through. But they had hardship and they had challenges. And in the midst of the hardship, we're going to see this morning how God brings together Paul and brings together other people in our continued look at the spread of the early church and the hope of Jesus. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us this morning in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can find in whatever app store you utilize. And once it's installed on your device, there are a number of great features within the Bible app. One of them that we use every single week is called Events. And there you can either enable your locations or write in Lakeside Community Church, Algoma, and we'll pop up and you can follow along right on your device. This morning, if you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're walking through the New Testament book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament after the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Next is the book of Acts. Acts was actually written under the guidance of the Holy Spirit with one of the Gospel writers, Luke. The same person who wrote the Gospel of Luke also wrote the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20 as we continue our look through the book of Acts. And if you're joining us via the stream this morning, thanks so much for joining us. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team here at Lakeside. And the verses will be available for you on the screen below as we dive into Acts 20. In just a minute, just want to remind you before we do where we left off last week as we've been journeying through the book of Acts. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 19 and we've seen time and time again that as Paul takes the hope of Jesus to people, there are a group of people, primarily Jewish people, there are a group of people who resist the message of Christ. And they stir up trouble. And this has caused Paul to be beaten. It's caused him to be imprisoned. They've tried to murder him as a result of his faith in Jesus. All these things have transpired. And last week we saw that tensions continued to rise as Paul continued to spread the hope of Jesus. This time, forcing a riot in the city. And people were going crazy. People were violently oppressing the message of Jesus, and ultimately that riot was dispersed at the end of Acts chapter 19. That's what we looked at last week, and on the heels of that, we dive in this morning to Acts chapter 20, starting in verses 1 to 3, where we read these words. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, 
And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So after the riot, we see what Paul's doing. And what is Paul doing? He's right back to relationships. Right back to the to relationships. After the riot dispersed, Paul continues his ministry. And he sends for the disciples to have an audience with the disciples. And what does he do? He spends his time encouraging them. He spends his time encouraging them. Spending time building the relationship, reminding them of all that they've been through, all that they've endured, reminding them that God is supreme, that God is in charge. He encourages them with the hope. And then what does he do? He departs from Macedonia, and he travels through. And what what happens now? He goes through all the regions, and he connects with people who love and follow Jesus, who are partnering with him in the work of spreading the hope of Jesus, and he encourages them. He's busy investing in the lives of other people. He's busy investing in their lives and encouraging them. And then when we get to verse 3, we see that he has plans. We have, he has plans to set sail for Syria. But as a result of the rising tensions with the, with the Jews, he has to back out and he has to adjust his traveling plans. And yet again, we see that his plans are now changed as a result of people's not only unbelief, but as a result of people being hostile to the message of Jesus. And then we continue. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days when we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Now, I just want to pause after these few verses and ask this question. Why did God, under the, you know, the Apostle Luke, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, as he's recording the spread of the early church, everything that the Apostle Paul has done, why does he include this for us? Why does he include this force? Well, on one hand, we know that the Bible happened in very real time, in a very real location, in a very real place. But why introduce us to a number of people, some of whom we're only given very passing reference to throughout Scripture? Why make it a point to list these people and go into detail about some of these people that we mostly don't know all that much about? And I just want you to wrestle with that question for a little bit this morning. I want you to just think about that, and we'll return to that theme. We continue. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep. As Paul talked still longer, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. So Paul is once again in a position where he can encourage people. They're gathered for church on the, on the first day of the week. They're breaking bread together. Paul is sharing 
from his heart, and he's enjoying the community aspect. He's enjoying being together, and he's talking, and he's talking for a long time, and he's talking until midnight. He's long-winded, and he just keeps talking. And in that process, there's a young man named Eutychus, and he fell asleep. And we're told by Luke, who was a physician, that it's not a light sleep. This is the, the deep, heavy sleep. And all of a sudden, he's sitting by a window. He sinks down because his body's in deep sleep. And all of a sudden, he falls out the window. And he's pronounced dead. I'm just going to tell you, there's a reason we serve coffee every week here at Lakeside, all right? We want to protect you. We want to make sure that you're all right. And Eutychus is there in the midst of this church service. Paul is going on and on and on. He falls asleep. He falls out the window. And he is pronounced dead. But Paul went down and bent over him. And taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Eutychus falls out the window. Paul goes down. It's three stories. He goes down, and he recognizes, he picks him up in his arms, and he recognizes that Eutychus isn't dead, that he's alive. And so what does Paul do? Well, we're told. He goes back in and eats more. I mean, that's my, these are my people right there. Somebody just falls from a third-story window. You go down, you pick them up, and you're like, yeah, they're alive. Let's go have dessert. And they run right back up, and they eat dessert. I can identify with that. I love it. And then notice what Paul does. Then he talks all night long. And notice what else Luke doesn't tell us, that anybody else fell asleep. Everybody was on guard. Everybody was wide awake now, and at daybreak they depart, and Eutychus is alive, and they are rejoicing. They're ecstatic about what has happened. This is a moment where they come together, and they celebrate. They celebrate what has transpired, an incredible event. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asus intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asus, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite of Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So we've just seen this church that is gathered celebrating Eutychus, and now we're told of more of Paul's journeys, and he wants to get to Jerusalem. And the reason he wants to get to Jerusalem is for a celebration. It's for a celebration. And what Paul wants to celebrate is he wants to celebrate Pentecost. He wants to celebrate the birth of the church. He wants to celebrate how the church was born and how the gospel and the hope of Jesus has now spread beyond Jerusalem. The, the gospel and the hope of Jesus has now spread from, 
from region to region, and the hope of Jesus is continuing to be taken to new people, and more and more people are placing their faith and trust in Christ. And remember at Pentecost what happened, that God gave His followers the gift of the Holy Spirit. And again, in the same way that we can look back And we can see how the book of Acts unfolds and we have the benefit of a couple thousand years of hindsight. And so if we're not careful, we don't put ourselves in the emotions and in the feelings of Paul and the people who live this. In the same way, for those of us who have loved and followed Jesus for a long time in our lives, we can grow accustomed to the fact that from that moment of Pentecost onward, That every person who places their faith and trust in Christ has the Spirit of God literally come and reside within us. That God is not some distant deity, but God is literally residing within every single one of us who places their faith and trust in Christ and follows after Him. And And God is at work within our lives convicting us and challenging us and encouraging us and answering our prayers and equipping us with gifts supernaturally that are meant to bring about service to Him and His fame to be increased. And and if we followed God for a really long time, we can grow accustomed to the fact that God's at work and He's alive within us and we can lose sight of the incredible privilege that each and every one of us has. That the creator of our universe and the creator of us has an intimate, personal relationship with each and every one of us who works in our lives. It's incredible and we can't lose sight of this. To remember all that God had done through the development of the early church and to remember that the Spirit of God is at work within people. Here again, we see celebration. And as people that love and follow Jesus, we need to create markers in our lives that we look back and we remember how God has worked and what God has done. And we need to celebrate those things. And I'm, I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you because one of the, one of the ways that, that I'm just naturally wired is for me to not take time to enjoy things. It's for me to not celebrate things. I'm on to the next challenge. I'm on to the next thing. If things go like they should, well, that's how they're supposed to operate. That's what we work towards. Let's move on to the next thing. And that's that's a deficiency in my own life that I recognize. And I have to be intentional because this doesn't come natural to me. I'm on to the next thing. And it's important for me to stop and to remember how God has worked. And that's important for all of us. That God has blessed us all. And it's important for us to put markers in our lives and for us to remember. The desire of Paul is to go to Jerusalem and commemorate all that God has done and all the blessing that we have. And I I just want to pause here. Because certainly in the past week, We've all seen the headlines. We've all seen the heartache as the the tensions are ongoing and now war has broken out. And right now, I just want to pause and I just want to pray. I want to pray for Israel. I want to pray for Jerusalem. And I just want to pray that God would be glorified. We know that God is sovereign. We know He has a plan. We know that that nothing happens outside of God's will. 
that he is in charge. And if something's going to happen, it's because he allows it and he has a plan. But I just want to call on God right now and just pray for that region as the highlights and the headlines are horrific. God, I pray. Lord, we know that you're in control. We know that you're sovereign. We know that you are supreme. We know that you have a plan. Lord, our hearts break as there's bloodshed, as there's terror, and as there are increased tensions. And Lord, we just pray that your will would be done. We pray, God, that you would grant safety. We pray, God, that in the midst of all of this, the people of Israel would turn to you. That They would find hope in the salvation of your son, the promised Messiah, Jesus. That they would surrender their hearts and their lives to him. And they would follow after you. We pray the same for the Palestinians and even the members of Hamas. That God, they would be exposed to the truth and the hope of our salvation through your son. And that they would find salvation. And the name that, the only name that salvation is available, the name of Jesus. It's in his name that we lift this up. Amen. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So now here is Paul and he sends for the elders from the church in Ephesus and he wants to meet with them because this is going to be goodbye. And he says, you know you know how I lived my life among you. You know how I served, how I served God. I served God with all humility. It wasn't about me. It was about lifting high the name of Jesus. It wasn't about me trying to create a following for myself. It wasn't about me trying to make a name for myself. It was always about me lifting up the cause of Christ. You know how much I cared that there were tears and there were trials. And you know how I encountered all of these things. And this is yet another reminder, at least this for me, that if I'm God, I'm doing things differently here. If I'm God, and Paul is he's dedicating himself to go out and tell people about the hope of salvation, then I'm just going to make it so that the trials don't happen. And there's no hardship. And there don't need to be tears. And if there's tears, there's tears of joy. But I've never understood tears of joy. Like, how do you get so happy you cry? That makes no sense to me. I don't understand that. So let's just get rid of tears. Like, if I'm God, those are the things that I'm doing. 
And yet that's not how God operates. And it's important for us to remember that here is yet another reminder and another example to us that God never promised us an easy life. God never promised that everything we would do would be easy or successful. That there'd never be hardship or trials. In fact, throughout the New Testament, we see just the opposite. And I don't know why God sometimes doesn't intervene. I don't know why God allows certain things to happen that He allows to happen. But I know that He's sovereign and I know He's in control. And Paul says, look at my life. It's not been easy. And yet I lived a consistent life amongst you. And what did I devote my life to? Always pointing you to Jesus. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And now he says, I'm leaving, and I'm going to Jerusalem, and I don't know what the future holds except for the fact that I'm going to be in prison. Because God supernaturally, through His Holy Spirit, has conveyed that to me. And I'm going to be afflicted. And the question that those of us who love and follow Jesus have to really wrestle with right now is if God called us to do something and He supernaturally conveys to us that we're going to be thrown into prison and we're going to be afflicted, do we still go through with it? Are we like, God, you got the wrong person. I thought I heard you call me to do that, but now you've told me that. Nope, that wasn't you. I get it. And we try to back out. And you might be saying to yourself, man, I, I love Jesus, Brian, but I don't, I don't know if I'm there. And, and if that's true of you, I don't want you to be discouraged. I don't want you to just throw in the towel and think, well, that's not me right now, so I can never get there. Because we're about to show you how you can get there one day. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face Again, how in the world can God call you to something that you know is not going to be pleasant and it's not going to be fun and it's not going to be easy and how can you still go through with it? It tells us the answer right here. It's the perspective that he has of his life. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. He says, here's what's important about my life. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's ultimately about what God wants for me. And that mindset is the only way, the only way we can get to the point where if God calls us to do something we don't really want to do, that we can go through with it. 
Now, again, I don't want you to unnecessarily beat yourself up because just a few weeks ago, we saw from a couple chapters earlier in Acts, the whole process that the Apostle Paul went through when he just said, God, I'm done with these people. I'm done with them. And God said, no, you're not. And we saw that process unfold in Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19. And here we arrive at Acts chapter 20, where Paul says, I've reached the point where I look at my life, and it's not ultimately about what I want, but what God wants for me. And he's telling the church members in Ephesus that this is goodbye. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He says this, I can leave you. And I can leave you knowing I did everything I possibly could. I did everything in my power that I could to serve you. I told you the truth always, even when it wasn't popular, even when it wasn't what you wanted to hear. I told you what you needed to hear. I was faithful to do what God called me to do. And I can leave knowing I did everything that I possibly could. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. As he's saying goodbye, this is his message to the church in Ephesus. There are going to be people who come in after I leave, and they're going to try to cause trouble. Why? Because their goal is their own agenda. That's their goal. They want to cause trouble because their goal is their own agenda. Remember what I have done. I have lived a consistent life in front of you. I have lived in such a way that the focus and the emphasis was not about me, but it was about the message of Jesus. I have not asked you for things. I have not beat you over the head for you to give me things. I have lived knowing that God would take care of my needs. And he says, there are going to be others who come in here. And they are going to try to leverage what doesn't belong to them for their own gain. And it doesn't belong to them, not because it belongs to Paul or not because it belongs to the leaders in Ephesus. No, the reason that it doesn't belong to them is because the church is God's church. I have an incredible privilege to lead Lakeside. But I am well aware of the fact that Lakeside is not my church. I do not own Lakeside. 
I have the incredible privilege to manage Lakeside. But Lakeside ultimately does not belong to me. It belongs to God. And the team of people that I get to work with here, with with Jacob and Randy and Kira and the, the team of elders that come alongside, Lakeside doesn't belong to any of us. It's not our church. Lakeside is God's. And we have an opportunity and an obligation to make sure that we keep that at the forefront. And it's not about us. It's always about lifting high the name of Jesus. It's always about loving and serving people, proclaiming the hope of Christ, but but being a collection of people, utilizing the fact that God is at work within us and He's gifted us with talents and gifts and abilities that are more effective when we all come together, that when we live in community, we experience more encouragement and more promise than when any of us tries to live in and of ourselves. That Lakeside functions at its best when we all come around the table and we all contribute with the talents and the gifts and the abilities that we have to proclaim the hope of Jesus. That's what the church must be. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him. They all knew That this was goodbye. And yet we know that the cause of Christ didn't end. Because Paul was moving on. The cause of Christ is bigger than any one of us. And the church functions best when we all come together collaboratively and in community encourage each other, and support each other, and love each other, and challenge each other. And we live in authentic community together. That we come together with the talents and the gifts and the abilities that we have to serve. And that God's given us different gifts and different passions. But the church functions best when we all do our part. And one gift looks different than another gift, but no gift is better than another gift. And the church needs everyone and every gift to function for us to reach our full potential. That we would lift up the name of Jesus. And we would always be driven by the cause of Christ. That is the church that God's called every church to be. And that's what we must strive for here at Lakeside. That we don't take for granted because we've been following God for a long time or because we've grown accustomed to what God has done here. That we don't take for granted the incredible opportunity that we all have to be part of what God is doing. And we come together for a purpose that is bigger and greater than us. And that's to see the cause of Christ 
taken to this region. And the hope of Jesus spread. And that we can all play a part in how God does that. God, I pray that we would all be people who have a passion and desire to take your message to this region, to the people that we encounter. That we would lift high the name of Jesus, unapologetically, without pause. And we would boldly proclaim the hope that is found in no other name under heaven given to us, by which people can find salvation. In the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that as we lift high the name of your Son, you would bless our efforts. I pray, God, that you would continue to work in incredible ways. We thank you for how you've worked in the life of Lakeside, and we ask you to continue to work, God. We ask you to make your name known in this region. We ask that we can play part in that. That every single person would want to contribute to what you do, who you are. Recognizing that you've equipped all of us to be active and be part. And God, that you've called none of us to live in isolation. And so as we read names that we might not be that familiar with, As we read the book of Acts, we're reminded that each one of those names was part of the community of what you were doing. And they mattered to God and they mattered to one another. And may that be of us. That we would matter to you. That every person that walks in these doors would know they are loved by you first and foremost and they are loved by the people of Lakeside and they would find their place here to grow closer to you and to serve you and be excited about what you're doing. God, use this place for your glory, we ask in your son Jesus' name.